there are two types of approaches that people often have when it comes to the relationships between the Jews and the non-Jewish world around us. Number one, people sometimes say that we live our lives, we do what we need to do, and we couldn't care less what others say, think, or do. Let them all go fly a kite. We Jews just live in our Jewish world, and we don't need to think about anyone how they feel or how they think about us. That is approach number one. I would call this approach isolationist approach. Then there's another approach that we Jews need to take great care to make sure that we will be respected, recognized, and Jews go out of their way to please the people around us, the non-Jews that we live amongst, to make sure that we will be seen as good people, respected, and therefore these people often bend or neglect the things that Jews should be doing because they think it might not be seen in a positive light by people around. If the first approach was called isolationist approach, this approach could be maybe called integrationist approach which means that we need to recognize that we are a minority and uh, we have a majority that we need to accommodate. So usually you would think that a Orthodox Jewish Hasidic approach would be the first one. And it is true in large because we know that there are things that the Torah is requiring of us to do, and uh, maybe other people will look at us weird for that. I will be dressing how I believe I should be dressing, and if I'm dressing like I think an Orthodox Jew, Hasidic Jew should dress, and if others look at it funny, it's their business. And uh, I eat only kosher food, so they will invite me to a non-kosher party. I'm not going to come, but they will say that I'm not nice, they will say that I'm a snob, they will look at me weird. Well, too bad. We are doing what we have to do according to the Torah. And if they're making an Xmas party for our office at work, I'm not going to come because I don't celebrate Xmas. So that is our general approach because we know that we cannot bend our rules and our customs because of the non-Jewish influence. But there is also another very important segment. And I will bring you two examples from our Hasidic history that specifically illustrate this important point. When the Alter Rebbe, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, was arrested in 1799, the Tsar's court was uh, was judging him and uh, there were fabricated charges that he was arrested under but when he was liberated when he was acquitted he saw it as a very important step in the path of non-jews recognizing us jews and us hasidim which means that we do what we need to do 
And if we are doing what we need to do right, then non-Jews will come to recognition of us Jews. I will bring you another example from a much more recent history with our Rebbe. The events were taking place in 1980s. Suddenly, books from the Rebbe's library started disappearing. The Rebbe's library has a lot of ancient books, manuscripts. People see there the most rare books in the world. And these books are sometimes worth untold amounts of money, and sometimes you cannot even put a price tag on these um, artifacts. And suddenly, people started noticing, the, the librarian started noticing that books are disappearing, but there is no any sign of break-ins, there is no any sign of uh, any theft. So they didn't know what's going on. To make a long story short, they realized that there was a relative of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe who actually had keys to the building because of his family connections. And he was coming there and taking the books for himself. When this relative was caught, he said, one second, I'm a descendant of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. And when previous Lubavitcher Rebbe passed away, he left, you know, he left inheritance for his children and grandchildren. And I am one of their children. So I'm entitled to a portion of this inheritance and I'm taking what's mine. This was a very surprising claim because this was officially the library of the previous Lubavitch Rebbe. And obviously our Rebbe, when he became Rebbe, was considered to be in charge of it automatically. But from American legal perspective, this relative had a claim because officially this library was his personal library, previous Rebbe's personal library. So they didn't know what to do. And some people wanted to go and buy out these books because he wasn't taking them because he wanted to have family heirlooms or because it had some sentimental value for him. He was taking these books because he was selling them. And he was selling them on auctions. He was doing it purely for money. And he was not hiding it. He was saying that he's selling those books for, for money. And those books were worth a lot of money. So there were people who came to the Rebbe and they were saying, listen, we are ready to buy these books out and bring them back to the library. There were, there were people who were ready to put up very big money just to make this problem go away. And the Rebbe said that he's prohibiting anyone to do that. The Rebbe was saying that he is insisting that they should go through legal channels and that the American court should recognize that the books belong to the library and no person can take them individually. People were surprised because uh, it was a hard claim to defend in the U.S. court system because of laws of inheritance. But the Rebbe said that they should hire lawyers and this is the route he wants to take. The main lawyer who they hired, you probably, Alex, know his name, Nate Lewin. He is an observant Jew, an Orthodox Jew, and uh, he lives in Potomac, Maryland. He is a legendary uh, federal court lawyer. He has argued in front of Supreme Court many times, and they hired him and a group of other lawyers, and they went to the court. And the Rebbe said that there is a letter from the previous Rebbe 
where he writes that he, as a rebbe, does not belong to himself. He does not have any personal possessions, and he himself does not belong to himself. He belongs to Hasidim, he belongs to his followers, and all of his possessions belong to the followers. And the rebbe presented this letter to the attorneys, and he said that he wants to use this letter as a proof that this library cannot belong to an individual who is a relative, a descendant of the previous Rebbe. This library must belong to the community of Hasidim. The attorneys did not like this route. They had a very hard time believing that a judge, a federal judge, would change his ruling or would be persuaded by this letter. They went a different route. And they were making other claims, and all of these claims they saw were not working. Based on how judge was ruling on certain motions or the, the comments that they were getting, they were realizing that they are simply losing the case. So when all other avenues were exhausted, the attorneys realized that the only option they have is to come back to this original letter that the Rebbe showed them. And... They presented this letter to the judge. The other side was obviously claiming that this was a metaphor. The previous Rebbe was saying it as a hyperbole. He did not mean it literally. The judge ruled in favor of the Rebbe and in favor of the Hasidim. And the judge said in his ruling, he wrote it, that it is hard to fathom that a person of such a caliber as the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe would be throwing words loosely and would be saying things just to make himself look good or sound good. And if he wrote something like this in a letter, he obviously meant it 100%. And the previous Rebbe ruled that all these books are part of the library and that this relative has to return these books and this is how the books were restored. The Rebbe made very big emphasis on the fact that the American law has ruled according to the Jewish beliefs, according to the Torah. And the Rebbe saw it as a great accomplishment because if we do what we have to do, then non-Jews will come to realization. And even in the situations when it seems to be hard to fathom that a non-Jewish court would uh, agree with uh, how the Jews, the Hasidim, are viewing things. The Rebbe was placing very big importance. The Rebbe was giving a lot of weight to the fact that, according to the American law, we are coming out victorious. Because we don't need to change anything we do because of the non-Jewish influence. But if we do the right things, if we behave like we should, the non-Jews will come to realization that we are right. So in other words, in the beginning, I said that there are two views. And one says that we should just ignore the non-Jewish world around us and not pay attention to what they say. The second view was that we need to adapt and we need to change our behavior and our looks and our words in order to be recognized and respected by the non-Jewish world. Here, we see a third path. The path that is saying that, here we see a third approach. The approach that is saying that 
we need to always listen to the Torah. We cannot bend our Jewish laws. We cannot bend our Jewish customs. But if we do things right, then the non-Jews will come to recognize that we are correct. And they will acknowledge that what we are doing is right. And if the non-Jews around us do that, then it shows that we are acting indeed appropriately. We are accomplishing our mission because our mission is that the whole world should recognize that the Torah is right. This is a mission that we have to accomplish indirectly. The Torah is not obligating us to run around the world and convincing every non-Jew that uh, the Torah is correct. We need to only take care of our own. We need to make sure that Jews are following the Torah, the Jews are doing mitzvahs, and whatever the Chinese, the Russians, the French do, what they believe is none of our business. Let them do whatever they want. We don't need to convince them of anything. But if at one point they come to a realization that we are right, it's just an indication that we are doing the right things. We are having an influence on them, even though it is an indirect influence.